Let's pray. Father, we thank You for what we just sing. And that Your love for us is deep enough uh, to cover all of our debts and to pay the full price for our ransom. And Lord, we ask once more that You would meet us here as we study Your Word. Lord, that You would be pleased with our time together, that our thoughts of You would be deep and accurate according to Your Word, and that our understanding of Your care for us would be expanded as a result of our time together this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. And we'll be in chapter 6 again this morning, looking at verses 30 to 44. And before I go any further, I just want to tell you, I have an extra long introduction this morning. All right, so don't be just sitting there waiting. Okay, when's he going to make the turn? When's he going to make the turn? Uh, I'm going to take a little longer in my introduction because I want to share with you uh, a metaphor. I want to show it to you uh, maybe in a little deeper, clearer way from the Old Testament. So I'll just give you that as a little caveat, okay? And so our passage this morning is Mark 6, verses 30 to 44. And it's a passage that's really about the care and provision of our Lord, who is, of course, the great shepherd. If you're familiar with the Bible at all, you understand and you know that throughout Scripture, God describes His relationship to His people in terms of a shepherd caring for His sheep. Psalm 80 verse 1 says that God is the shepherd of Israel and leads Jacob like a flock. Psalm 100, the psalmist writes, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Isaiah 40 verse 11, God promises there that He will tend His flock like a shepherd. So God then, throughout the Old Testament, and I could multiply examples, He is the shepherd and we are His people. We are His sheep. And you understand that of the flocks and the herds of the ancient world, the sheep, of course, were the most needy. Goats and cows and camels, they were all independent for the most part. But sheep depended on their shepherd for almost everything. Without their shepherd, the sheep would wander around aimlessly, vulnerable to the elements and to predators. Goats could find food almost anywhere. If you have goats or had goats, you know that to be the case. But sheep, they needed a shepherd to guide them to pasture, green pasture, and to water. And there was a sort of symbiotic relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. The sheep necessarily were dependent upon the shepherd, but the shepherd also had a vested interest in the sheep. And so naturally, the metaphor of a shepherd and his sheep works perfectly to describe the relationship between God and His people. We are His needy people. He is the sufficient shepherd. But what we see throughout Scripture is that as God carries out His shepherding care of His people, He uses agents to do it. 
He uses, primarily in the Old Testament, kings, elders, priests, prophets, all of them, though they had different functions, ultimately their responsibility was to be under shepherds, to take care of the Lord's flock. We see that even into the New Testament where the word pastor describes my office, the office of elder. In the Old Testament, Moses was recognized as a shepherd of Israel in Numbers 27. And God appointed Joshua to be Moses' successor in order that, Numbers 27.7, the congregation would not be like sheep which had no shepherd. In Psalm 78, God recognized that King David was a successful king because he did this. Listen, Psalm 78. He shepherded Israel with integrity of heart. So God doesn't just shepherd His people from heaven uh, unilaterally. He uses and He has used agents to carry out His desire that His people would be cared for, shepherded. So wherever you had leaders in the Old Testament who shepherded the flock in a way that reflected the care of God, those leaders were commended. They were commended as having shepherded in a way reflective of the compassionate, gentle, all-encompassing care of God. But tragically, what you see most often in the Old Testament, and even into the New Testament, is that the leaders of Israel who were supposed to be the shepherds of God's people, they're indicted for failing to care for the flock in a way that's pleasing to God. And some of the strongest rebukes that we see in the Old Testament are not towards the pagans necessarily, but towards the leaders of Israel who had been entrusted with the care of God's sheep who had been derelict in their duty. Here's an example. Jeremiah 23.1 The Lord says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of My pasture. Therefore, thus says the Lord, God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who are tending My people. They're in the office. They're doing the job. They're tending God's people. But they're not doing it in a way reflective of the Lord's care. And so this is what the Lord says. You have scattered My flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. The Lord took the failure to properly shepherd His people very seriously. And so the Lord looked at His people in the Old Testament. They have shepherds had been appointed by the people. They had a responsibility. They were failing to do their job. And so the sheep were often scattered, malnourished, and devoured. And no matter how many times you replace a shepherd uh, for the Lord's people, a leader in Israel, over and over again you see the same thing happening. As the priests go, so go the people. Well, the Lord, of course, was not happy with that. He condemned it. He pronounced woes on this kind of worthless shepherding. But He also initiated a plan to solve the problem. All right, so why don't you flip over to Ezekiel 34. I'm going to read a long section from Ezekiel 34. But this is God's plan to solve the shepherd problem. Ezekiel chapter 34. 
We'll begin in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep and without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth. And there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them, and make them cease from feeding the sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth, so that they will not be food for them. Somehow the shepherds of Israel had become wolves, and they were eating the sheep and abusing the sheep. And the Lord was aware. Verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the streams and in the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture. And their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong, I will destroy. That's the ones who have grown fat and strong by abusing the sheep. And the Lord says, I will destroy them. I will feed them with judgment. They fed themselves on my people, and I will feed them with judgment. Verse 17, as for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and the male goats. Is it too slight a thing for you that you should feed in the good pasture, that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pastures? 
or that you should drink of the clear waters, that you must foul the rest with your feet. As for my flock, they must eat what you tread down with your feet and drink what you foul with your feet. And here's the solution, verse 20. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with, push with side and with shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns until you have scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will deliver my flock, and they will no longer be a prey, and I will judge between one sheep and another. Verse 23, Then I will set over them one shepherd. One shepherd. My servant David. And he will feed them. He will feed them himself. And he will be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now there's the plan. Bad shepherds perpetually arising, abusing the sheep. And the Lord says, here's the plan. I will send my son, David, the offspring of David, the Messiah, the Savior. He will come. And he will be the great shepherd to my flock. And he will exemplify for them all that I think of them. Right, so here's the problem. When you've got the Father who is the great shepherd, and then He appoints shepherds over His flock to take care of them, all of a sudden those shepherds start mistreating the sheep. And that is a reflection on the shepherding care of the Father. Right? And so lest the sheep perpetually think the Father is out to get them, the Father doesn't like them and doesn't care for them. He just wants to consume them and get His. The Father says, no. I will send My Son and He will be the shepherd. They will have one shepherd and He will exemplify My love, My care, My concern, My compassion for My sheep in a way that no earthly shepherd could ever do. And that's what this text is about this morning. That's what Mark 6, 33-40 is about. It's about the shepherding care of our Lord Jesus. And it's designed by God, of course, to reflect on the Father's care for His own. Jesus is the one great shepherd. He's the offspring of David, promised in Ezekiel 34. He's the true and great shepherd. And when you contrast Him over and against the opportunistic, selfish leadership of Israel, you begin to see how Jesus reforms and recasts how these people ought to be thinking about the Father. We know, John 1, that Jesus is the, the exact representation, Colossians 1, of the Father. You want to know the Father? You want to know what the Father thinks about you as a sheep? I'm a sheep too. We're all in this together. Don't look at the opportunistic leaders of Israel. Look to Jesus. Look to Him. And what we're going to see in this passage is we're going to see the great shepherd in action. We're going to see what does He think about those closest to Him? What does He think about those sheep that are lost out there? And does He have the capacity to take care of all the sheep? 
And of course, we're going to see that he does. So why don't you go ahead and stand with me. Mark chapter 6. And let's start reading actually in verse 30. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. And the people saw them coming, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This is this place, rather, is desolate, and it's already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up twelve baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. And there were five thousand men who ate the loaves. You may be seated. It's an amazing story. And there are all these allusions, connections to the Old Testament, which is why I wanted to spend some time sort of setting up this metaphor of the shepherd. But what we see here is that our Lord, of course, is the great shepherd. And anyone who comes to Him in faith, He promises to tend to and care for in the most loving and compassionate way. And what we see first here is that the Lord cares for His little flock. The Lord cares for His little flock. This is in verse 30 and 32. Or 32, 32. The great shepherd cares for his flock of twelve. And verse 30 picks right back up where we left off in verse 13. There's this big gap. Remember, we went from verse 7 to verse 13, the commissioning of the twelve. And then from 14 to 29, we had this sandwiching in of the story of Herod. And now in verse 30, we pick right back up. The disciples have been sent out, and now they're coming back. But remember... Jesus had commissioned these twelve to go and to preach the gospel throughout Galilee. And remember too, how he had described their commission. He told them as they were on being sent out on their journey in the parallel account of Matthew 10, that they would be like what in the midst of wolves? Sheep in the midst of wolves. Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. In other words, this is not going to be easy for you. 
As they went out, they were going to be mocked, maligned, mistreated by anyone who despised Jesus and His followers. Jesus told them that they needed to expect this kind of abuse from all corners of society, including their own families. Some of them, some of the twelve, would have been drugged before governors, and some of them would have been betrayed by their own parents. But all of them, at some level, would have been hated for what they were preaching and what they were representing. Now all that's detailed in Matthew 10, 17-23. And it was what Jesus promised was coming for His men as He sent them out. And this was not expect the worst, kind of hope for the best scenario. That's what we would say. It might get really ugly, but hang in there. No, this was a promise. As you go out, you will be mistreated, you will be maligned. It was a guarantee that the mission that these men were going on would be more difficult than anything they had ever done. And these were not sort of smooth men. They were fishermen, rough men. They would have been used to hardship and difficulties. And Jesus is saying, look, what you are going to encounter is going to be more difficult and challenging than anything you have ever experienced. But, alongside that, Jesus promised them that the Father would take care of all their needs. Remember, He said, strip yourself of all the things you think you need. You don't need them. Just take the necessities. And they went out and preached the gospel of the kingdom. And just as the Lord promised them, the Father provided all that they needed. And so in verse 30, after maybe several weeks or maybe several months, we don't know how long, but they've been gone. And now in verse 30, the text says, the apostles gathered together with Jesus. And they reported to Him all that they had done and taught. Now you can only imagine their report. Right Here they are. They're back with their Lord. And they're coming back from a trip, from a mission, where they have been able to do extraordinary things. Remember, Jesus granted them authority over demons. And we even see, by extension, He granted authority over physical healings, right? So they could cast out demons, they could heal the sick, and all of that, of course, was authenticating them as messengers of God. But up to this point, who has been healing people? And who has been casting out demons? Only the Lord. And now all of a sudden, He's delegated this tremendous authority to them, and they would have been able to do amazing things that they, of course, had never been able to do before. And now they're back with Jesus. And they're going to be certainly full of stories about what has happened and stories about people repenting and following Jesus and bowing to uh, the gospel of the kingdom. These would have been, of course, the highlights from their month, maybe, weeks-long mission. But there would have been another side to their report as well. Highs and lows. Certainly, they would have experienced pain, and persecution, rejection. And so they probably, if you imagine what they might have looked like, they might have looked something like mangled sheep in need of some serious care if they were mistreated and persecuted, they would have had scars probably to prove it. 
they would have looked like a pretty motley bunch, you know, coming in. They probably looked like that already, and now they've been, you know, pushed through the ringer, and they're back with Jesus. And so, one way or another, they sort of drag themselves back in to see Jesus. And as Jesus, the great shepherd, hears their report, he looks at them, and he can see and hear how hard they've worked. He sees that they've given it their all. He sees that they've been run through it, for sure. And so he looks at them, and in verse 31 he says, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. And Mark adds, For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So not only had they left it all on the field the past month, perhaps, but now they're home, and the demands of ministry are still there. The work was so frenetic that they hadn't even had time to stop and eat. They're trying to tell Jesus what's going on, what had happened, and they, they can't do it, and they don't even have time to eat. And actually, this is the second time that we're told that Jesus and His disciples were laboring so hard and so busily that they didn't have time for food. We saw that in Mark 3.20 as well. It's a similar scenario, but there in Mark 3.20, Jesus didn't say, look, you guys need some food. Let's stop this and let's get you guys nourished. No, he just keeps pressing on. He says, you know, there's ministry, there's work to do, and he keeps going so much so that his brothers and sisters come in and say, hey, look, we've got to come in and step in here. He's going to hurt himself. But this is different. This time it's different. Jesus looked at these men and he understood that they needed rest. And really he understood that the demands on them were high, sure, but they were only going to increase as they grew in their faithfulness to Him. And of course, Jesus understood that the demands of the crowds would always be there. At the poor you always have with you. These needs and these demands of the crowds, they'll always be here. And so what Jesus did, He looked at them and He said to them, Come away with Me by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. Now imagine, here they are, sheep who have been mangled and attacked by wolves, here they are with their Lord, and the Lord says, hey, let's, let's go rest a little while. You can imagine that that plan thrilled them. Naturally, they might be thinking, man, this guy's going to kill us. We don't have time to eat. He's sending us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. What kind of shepherd does that, <laughs> Right? The great shepherd sends his sheep in the midst of wolves? Are we just sort of like replaceable to him? Is he just going to grind us down to a little nub and then replace us with some better candidates? That's not it at all. And what we see here is that Jesus is not a tyrant. He has no design to wear these men out, wear them down to nothing. He has no concern and no desire 
to drive them into some sort of oblivion. In fact, these 12 sheep who were all mangled up at that moment, these 12 men are actually becoming His primary mission. At this point, Jesus is wrapping up His ministry in Galilee. And He's about to leave Galilee, go to Tyre and Sidon, and then He's going to head south to Jerusalem and Judea, where He will be crucified. This is last year of ministry. And these men, of course, are His apostles. And they are the ones who have been hand-picked, ordinary, average men, hand-picked to be His representatives on earth. And they are not where they need to be, right? And we're going to see that in the next couple of weeks as we make our way through this chapter. They are definitely not where they need to be. And so the Lord understands that these men are, at this point, in one sense at least, His primary mission. And not only that, He loves them. He loves this little flock of men. And He looks at them with compassion and consideration. And He calls them to come away with Him to a secluded place and rest a while. Secluded place, of course, means a place where there are no people. Some of you want to live there always. Some of you, that sounds terrible to go somewhere where there are no people. Our Lord had no overarching desire, of course, to avoid people. But there are times, and we'll mention this a little later on, where Jesus calls His men away from people so that they can get some rest. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying something like this. Look, let's get away from all these people and all these demands so that it can just be us for a while. Doesn't that sound wonderful? I want to hear about the highs and lows of your mission. I want to see your scars and hear about how you stood for the gospel, tell your, hear your tales of victory and defeat. And overall, I just want to be with you for a little while while you rest and recoup. And you can imagine what this would have done for the disciples. All at once, I think, they would have felt the care for their master in a new and tangible way. But here they are, sheep mangled. Here they are back with their Lord. Is he, is he just trying to destroy it? What's happening? And all at once the Lord says, come away and, and let's rest for a while. And I think they would have felt the care for the Lord in a new and tangible way. And there's just something about the person you love, respect, and want to please more than anyone else. There's just something about that one coming to you and saying, well done, let's go get some rest now. Those are, I think, for the Christian, those words are the sweetest words we can conceive of. Right? Good job. You gave it your all. Let's go rest for a little while. We work, I think we work so earnestly for the Lord and we give it all we've got. But if you're like me, so often you just feel like 
man, I am failing way more than I should be. I mean, I'm just sort of offering, I'm offering all I've got to the Lord, but I keep failing. And you feel as you're doing that work, you feel your inadequacy. You feel that you could never give to the Lord what He deserves to receive. And so the thought of Him coming and saying, well done, son. You gave it your all. Now come and rest with me for a while. It's just unimaginable. And and the joy of that. And to think that the Lord would be pleased with our feeble efforts. You know, just think about the countless ways these guys would have failed. You know they did. Right? You know they did. And they probably feel like total failures. We got beat up, we got ran out of town. And maybe only a few people repented and trusted. We're back. We look like a mess. Jesus, here we are. And then all the people are coming. And they're like, okay, we're back at it again. I'm probably going to pass out on this one. And the Lord says, look, let's just get away from all the ministry. I just want to be alone with you for a while. It's, It's really amazing. And it's a great reminder for us, I think. Because the work the Lord calls us to deserves our earnest effort. Amen? It deserves all we've got. It it deserves the best we can give. And we want to always leave it on the field for the Lord every day. And there are seasons where we should probably skip meals to serve the Lord. Where we are called to endure abuse and pain and difficulty for His glory. But we must never forget that the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd, is no tyrant. And while He calls us to give our all in service to Him, He also calls us away with Him from time to time for spiritual refreshment. Commenting on this passage, J.C. Ryle wrote, Constant attention to public work is apt to make us forget our own private soul business. And while we are keeping the vineyards of others, we are always in danger of neglecting our own. That's so true. It's the danger of the pastor and the Christian alike. I think anyone who is doing public work, we can easily neglect our own souls while trying to shepherd the souls of others. And... It's not just me as a pastor. It's you. You have a family. You have a little flock of your own. And the Lord has appointed you as the little shepherd over your family flock. And you know what it means to give and give and give. And sometimes you feel like you're a mangled sheep that just got eaten by your four-year-old wolf, right? (laughs) You know, it just seems like you fail. You seem like you can't do it. You seem like, I blew it again. And just remember, the Lord is no tyrant. He is pleased with your feeble effort when it's done in faith. And so we should be careful that while we are tending to the souls of the little flocks in our homes and our families and at Calvary Bible Church, that we don't neglect our own souls. And, And the Lord would not have us do that. And so the great shepherd then calls this little flock to go away with him. And in verse 32, we read that they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. It's a single boat, so it's just the twelve alone with Jesus. 
And they headed to an uninhabited area. Luke tells us that it's somewhere near Bethsaida, which is on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. So here they are. They're just sort of boating across the northern tip of the lake until they can get somewhere uh, to have some solitude, fellowship, prayer, and be alone with the Lord. But as they're on their way, something unexpected happens. These crowds, these wild sheep, (laughs) they're up there. Uh, They see Jesus going with the twelve, and they're not having it. They're determined to be with Jesus and to be with His now multiplied disciples who can also heal and do wonders and preach. And so verse 33 says that many recognized them and they ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. That's a pretty amazing feat, really. The boat probably traveled only about four miles. On land, though, that would have been about eight miles. And so somehow these people, these wild sheep, I think we could call them that, were able to outrun the Lord and His disciples and beat them to the secluded place. You can only imagine what these poor disciples must have been thinking. It's like you're trying to get rid of this person. Not that we would ever do that. But you're trying to get rid of them, and all of a sudden they're back, knocking at your door again. You think you've got rid of them, you think you've taken care of it, and then here they are again. You know, you've given it all you've got to these wild sheep, and here they are, back at the door again. And all they want to do is just be alone with their Lord, and all of a sudden these sheep are back between them, as it were, and their Lord. Now we're not told what their response was, I'm just sort of speculating. But if you read ahead in the, the rest of chapter 6, you'll see that that's probably a fair speculation. But we do know Jesus' response. Look at verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He's not annoyed with them. He's not bothered by them. He's not frustrated with them. He looks at them with pity. They're like helpless sheep, straying around on their own, no one to feed them, no one to care for them, no one to keep them safe, and no one to lead them. They're wild sheep, neglected, stranded. The people who are supposed to be shepherding them are not doing it. Now, who, who's supposed to be shepherding these wild sheep out here? The people of Israel, right? The leaders of Israel. In fact, one of the, the shepherds, Herod, we just read about him. What was he doing? Anything but caring for the sheep. In fact, the one man, John the Baptist, the prophet who did care for the sheep, King Herod, cut his head off. Right, so that, that's who should be shepherding this flock is Herod in one sense. In another sense, the spiritual leaders of Israel were the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests. And we know what Jesus thought about their shepherding care. Now, Jesus looked at them in Matthew 23 and, and said they were like blind guides leading the blind. And Luke said that our Lord mentioned that if the blind lead the blind, they both fall into the pit. 
So this statement that they are like sheep without a shepherd is really an indictment on the leadership of Israel in this moment. The shepherds, the people who are supposed to be watching over this flock, had left the sheep starving, vulnerable, and helpless, and spiritually malnourished. And of course, our Lord looks at this, and He is, verse 34, moved to compassion. Moved to compassion. And actually, he literally, he was moved to the bowels. Strange way to put it. But in the first century, the bowels were understood to be the seat of love and pity. And despite the fact that these folks had gotten in the way of his plan, he's the one who had the idea, let's go to a secluded place. And here these sheep get in his way. How dare they? He's the king, right? They intrude and interlope in the Lord's plan with his disciples, but Jesus is not annoyed by them in the least. He's moved with compassion. And you know what that reminds us of? That the Lord Jesus is so unlike us, and that's wonderful. We would not be that compassionate. And that's the gospel. And I think one of the hardest things to believe when you're coming into Christianity and you're, you're hearing the gospel, it often seems like that just can't be right. It can't be that way. It's too good to be true. That's so unlike what I would do. And this is the judgment of Isaiah 55. You thought I was altogether like yourselves. God is not like you, my friend. And that is gospel truth and joy. God is not like you, and Jesus is not like us. He is not like any of the shepherds you have known in the past, and He's far, far greater and far more compassionate than you or I have even begun to consider. And so here, He looks at these wild sheep, and He's moved to compassion. And notice what His compassion compels Him to do. Verse 34. He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to do what? To teach them many things. He didn't start a food pantry for them. He didn't go around collecting new clothes for them. All of those are wonderful things. I'm not discrediting that. What the Lord does, His compassion evokes Him to start teaching the truth to them. That's what compassion does. First and foremost, fundamentally, God-wrought compassion provokes you to meet the spiritual need of the person in front of you. It was John Piper who said, we care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. All right, so if Jesus just starts meeting the physical need and doesn't care for their souls... He's, he's not the great shepherd. But the great shepherd here models for us what our compassion ought first and foremost to lead us to do. And that is, we ought to, when we see the spiritually malnourished sheep, our first impulse and drive ought to be to feed them spiritual truth, the Word of God. 
Any shepherd that wants to be pleasing to the great shepherd will do that. Of course, our Lord has entrusted the shepherding care of the church to qualified, 1 Timothy 3, qualified elders who are also called shepherds, pastors. And first and foremost, the call on the pastor of any church is the call to feed the sheep, the Word of God. Our call as elders is to make sure that Calvary Bible Church receives a healthy diet of the Word of God so that you can all grow, we can all grow together into maturity, just as God has designed it. And of course, that's true for you and your little flock at home as well. The priority ought not to be extracurricular activities, ought not to be a well-mannered house, well-mannered children. Certainly, we, that should be on the list of things you focus on. But first and foremost, God calls you to raise up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Spiritual instruction, spiritual food. And of course, this is what our Lord models for us. So let me just ask you. God has given you children, wife, family, friends in your sphere of influence. And you ought to be in some way feeding them with the soul-enriching truths of Scripture. So how are you doing? How are you doing in caring for your little flock? Have you drifted away from providing the soul-nourishing Word of God to your children? And have you went on to other things? What about your care of your family, Dad? Are you feeding your family the soul-enriching truth of the Word of God? Is that part of your daily process? So the Lord is the great shepherd, and He has entrusted your family into your care. And you will give an account for your shepherding of that little flock. Well, back to our text here. The sheep standing in front of Jesus had not been fed the Word of God for some time. Maybe never. They'd been fed the traditions of men, but they had not been fed the Word of God. And so by this point, they're malnourished. They stand in desperate need for spiritual food. And so Jesus looks on them with pity, and He is moved to help them. Now, as He does that, He is demonstrating that His compassion and care for the sheep extends not just to the mild 12, I say that tongue-in-cheek, mild, to the 12 apostles, not just to his little flock, but it also extends out to the lost and neglected sheep as well. Of course, Jesus cares for his own little flock, but here we see that he cares for the sheep who have been mistreated and abandoned in a special way as well. So its love is comprehensive and extensive enough to encompass both the found sheep and the lost sheep. And not only that, verses 35 to 44, we see that He can do that. He can care for the little found sheep and the lost sheep. He can do that with no loss to Himself. 
that he has the power and the ability to bring in both the lost and the found and to provide all that they need and to have more left over. And that's what we see with the story and the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But of course, we're out of time for that. So we'll look at that next week. But the point I want to make just in closing here is that the great shepherd has no deficiency in his capacity or willingness to care for you and I. It's one thing to have compassion. It's another thing to have compassion and the power to do something about it. And that is what the great shepherd has done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son into the world to be the great shepherd. The shepherd promised from Ezekiel 34, and we thank you that in this passage we see something of the fulfillment of this truth of Jesus' shepherding care. Lord, we pray that if there are any here who are lost, Lord, that they would look to Christ and come to Him and find a shepherd who is gracious, compassionate, and abounding in steadfast love. And I pray, we pray together, Lord, that each of us who know You would live today more earnestly and more comfortably in the sense of Your truth, Your shepherding care of us. Lord, may we draw from these truths rich, rich comfort in all that we do for You. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.